Hi, I'm Anthony Treble, and welcome to my podcast, My Mental Mates, where I speak to people about their experiences with mental health, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. Some of what you hear may be triggering, but I'm hoping it helps those of you struggling realise you are not on your own. Also, heads up, there are some naughty words. So whether you're sat at home, out for a run, or anything else really, let's begin. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to episode three of the My Mental Mates podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Treble, and this week I have my friend Alan Griffin, uh, one of the most genuine blokes that I know, um, and for me, played a small but key part in my uh, my own mental health journey, as he was the first person after I started having uh, mental health issues to tell me that they had suffered, um, which you know, gave me a bit of comfort that I wasn't alone. Um, so thank you for coming on, Alan. How you doing? Thanks for having me. All good, thank you. Nice, lazy Sunday. Sun is shining. All is well. So I've had my breakfast. I'm drinking my Coke. I'm uh, <laughs> having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Willow, Willow, my dog, let me sleep in till 11 this morning, which is nice. Normally it's eight o'clock. She wants to get up, so... I made the most of that. Yeah, Kirk took care of the morning feed today, so it was a, a nice, a nice lazy morning and dew. But yeah, I suppose um, I might as well introduce myself. Uh, you obviously know who I am. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, me and Anthony met through work a couple of years ago. I'm, you may have guessed from the accent, I'm originally Irish. I've been living in London for. Well, I moved over here in September 2012, um, set up with my partner in Essex. We've got two dogs and a um, bit of a madhouse sometimes. But yeah, I suppose we go back, what, five or six years now? Six years. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But we've, uh, we've kind of bonded over our mental health journey in a way. Um, we've <laughs> we've spent we, a lot we, of <laughs> we've spent a lot of drunken nights crying together and hugging, yeah. <laughs> crying and hugging in people's gardens, but, just you know, getting each other through. <laughs> but what I found with that is, it's not like the normal drunken crying where you're crying about nothing. What we've ended up doing is getting into actual deep and meaningfuls in difficult times, and it's yeah. just given us a little nudge. Mainly because we only really saw each other for a period of time when we was drinking. We were always catching yeah. up, but you know, just because of your work was manic, my work was manic. The only time we saw each other was when we was able to catch up for a drink. We were in different places as well, because like when I moved over, I've I've lived in different parts, sort of in the greater London area, if you like. Um, like when we were working together, I was living in North London but working in Essex, and then when I left that job. I ended up moving to Croydon, so actually meeting up with people became a little bit more challenging. So there, there was uh, we weren't going to see each other for lunch. Basically, it was always <laughs> an organised event, usually a barbecue or a night out or some sort of somewhere we were going to be drinking, basically. And I think it sort of brought it out of both of us. And we done it well. Yes, we did. No regrets. Well, <laughs> I mean, if we if we remembered the whole story, maybe there would be. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so I suppose um, to go from the beginning, um, my own journey started off quite young, um, and over time, I think I've learned that a lot of um, a lot of the struggles that I've had are they probably link back to my school years, because. Um, I was bullied quite a lot in school and the outcome of that really was that I had very low self-confidence and just generally quite insecure but not even conscious of it either so um, like the the school stuff was mostly framed around football actually because I didn't play football and the where I grew up the boys played football the girls played their own games and I wasn't interested in football, so I just kind of made friends with the girls, which then made me a target um, for the boys. Uh, not the only one I might add, but um, yeah, just just felt like years of abuse over nothing. Um, typical kid stuff, like everything is you're gay, 
because you don't play football, you're gay. But then it turns to <laughs> sort of making you do homework and taking your school bag and kicking the ball at you and all that kind of crap. Because I think I was a bit of a goody two-shoes at school as well. So that <laughs> probably didn't help because that wasn't cool, obviously. Um, cool is something I've never really claimed to be. I've always been a bit of an outsider. But just to um, touch on just to touch on that, I actually, you know, I was quite smart in school, but I um I used to hide it a little bit. I, and I, I actually think if I hadn't, I probably could have done quite well academically. But because I thought it wasn't cool to be smart, yeah. I didn't study. How dumb it's, is that? When I when I think back to that now, I think what what a moron. I suppose I was at the other side of it because I was quite proud of being smart and doing well at school and <laughs> ended up getting targeted for it. So, like, you know, you kind of can't win, really. School school's mm. a tricky place. Um, and, and to start but, off, I think, <laughs> to start off, you know, your life like that, you don't really know any difference. So what you might think is when you're in that zone of being bullied regularly, you think, is this all it's going to be forever you know you, you don't realize that one day school ends and and then actually the, the cool kids are often not that cool that's how it's gone too you know I mean I think what happened was it just became such a regular occurrence that it changed my mindset to well this is my place in a way like I'll always sort of be the butt of the joke like they're they're the cool gang, they'll play football, they'll do whatever, hang around town. We didn't go hang around town, we didn't go out and do stuff like that, but we wanted to because we thought it was cool because that's what the cool kids were doing. But yeah, so it sort of put me into a very, um, I suppose a not good enough sort of state of mind because everyone wanted to be like the cool kids. So I sort of assumed that that's what you should be striving for. And I felt like that was never going to be me. So I just never really made the cut, if that makes sense. Um, and I think because I wanted to be like the cool kids, I used to try way, way too hard to be liked and ended up just being really fake, to be honest. Um, I had some really good friends of my own, which sometimes I didn't treat very well, to be honest, because of, you know, wanting to be one of the cool kids. There was times where I sort of turned my back on them, uh, which was quite a shitty thing to do, really, in hindsight. But you just, I kind of ended up following people around, like trying to fit in, knowing deep down that I was never going to. But I felt like if I was part of this group, then I wouldn't be bullied. And it would take away the sort of... Um, well, take away the negativity, really, because going to school became quite a, an anxious <laughs> journey, really, um, from quite a young age, like packing my bag, getting on the bus, going to school, thinking, oh, what's it going to be today? And it sort of, it just puts you, starts you off on the wrong foot, because from a young age, if you're looking for the problem everywhere, it gives you quite a negative outlook. Yeah. Um, and so in a way, I sort of did it to myself because I didn't have the skills or, I, you know, I wasn't able to recognize what I was doing um, because I just didn't know any difference, to be honest. Um, and then into secondary school, um, it's, it didn't really let up. The same thing carried on. Um, and I suppose secondary school is more where I was sort of following people around in the hope of being left alone, <laughs> um, which didn't really work out. But I mean, to have that sort yeah. of, just, just to quickly interrupt, that to have that sort of level of bullying in primary school is quite shit mm. because my, my memory of my primary school year was, you know, I'm sure every school is different, but no one really got bullied in my primary school. It wasn't a thing then, and it was only in secondary school where, where it began. So that's quite a long time for someone so, so young already to be already feeling like that. You see, by the time I got to secondary school, I had kind of put myself in that position where I just kind of accepted or expected that it was going to happen. So I made myself an easy target in that regard because I just wasn't confident enough to tell people where to go, really, or to sort of stand up for myself. So 
by not fighting back, it just went on and on and on. Um, so I couldn't wait to get to the end of school. But, um, you know, with, as, as with a lot of teenagers, I struggled a lot with my skin as well, uh, which started in secondary school. I suppose I was 14 or 15 um, when it started to get really bad. It was just teenage acne, regular, you know, run-of-the-mill stuff that, uh, that a lot of kids get. Um, but when you're already self-conscious and you already have low self-esteem and you're kind of worried about going to school for a whole host of reasons and you've got the state of your face <laughs> also yeah. playing on your mind, that made things, um, that made things even tougher, really. Um, I used to get a lot of shit for my skin as well, but um, it was physically it was painful um i couldn't sleep a lot which didn't really help because i'm sure you know when you're struggling to sleep everything is just that little bit harder you know everything takes that bit more effort you get out of bed on the wrong side every morning and it's just an uphill struggle so i was kind of struggling to find any positives really um and then I went to the doctor eventually, my mother talked me into going and I thought like my skin, yeah, it was painful and it annoyed me, but I just kind of got on with it um, because, you know, didn't really want to be causing any trouble. So I thought, well, we'll, we'll crack on. But mom took me to the doctor and um, the doctor referred me to a dermatologist. But when she was doing the referral, she she had a dictaphone thing and she described it as extremely severe acne to my face and my shoulders. And that was a bit of um, a bit that was of, a kind of a, a bit of a kick in the teeth, that isn't it? Really, like you yeah, know, you've got a, a young lad um, who you know we're all quite self conscious at that age, I think, especially yeah. um, you know well, puberty and all of that stuff as well. Yeah. You know, um, so I think, yeah, that's pretty shit from the doctor there to to just be coming out right and saying that. Um, you know that could have that could have held off until after. It probably could, <laughs> to be fair. She was a really lovely woman, and um, you know she was just being very matter of fact. But it was only in in that moment where it sort of dawned on me, like Jesus, this is really bad. And then it just felt like another problem and another worry. And you know the doctor thinks it's extremely severe. So what do people at school think? God, they must be saying awful things about me. And it all just sort of perpetuates then. In a bit of a spiral. Um, yeah, and like it got quite bad because I used to get like big sores, like almost like boils, and I used to get them on my face as well. And you know, there was different times where there was one day in particular in class where one of them burst on the side of my face, and I could feel it running down my face. And it was just after lunchtime, and I started panicking. And I don't get it so much now, but when I was a teenager, when my anxiety would build up, I would get really, really itchy and just start to sweat. And it was like uncontrollable. The only way that I could do anything with it was to lean against something cold, like put my back up against the cold. Like it sounded very odd, yeah. but when you're at school, you can't just jump in the shower. Um, <laughs> so basically I got myself in a state and I was I, I needed to go to the toilet to clean myself up but I was sitting there arguing with myself saying if I put my hand up everyone's going to look at me and they're going to see this shit running down my face but if I don't go to the toilet I'm going to be sitting here in a mess and I just kind of like lost sense of reality for a while I just completely zoned out took myself to another planet and just waited till the end of class and, and went to the bathroom um, because I was so worried that people would look at me if I if I put my hand up, and a lot of the time you get told no anyway when you ask get asked to go when you ask to go to the toilet in in school because it's always oh you should have gone at lunchtime, um, and the times where I did get to go to the toilet to clean myself up there was no mirror in the boys' bathroom anyway so it was all guesswork, um, but it just it's just another thing that adds another layer of stress and another layer of worry. Um, and then when, when I went to the dermatologist that she referred me to, um, they offered me a treatment called Roaccutane. Um, and the, the side effects from Roaccutane, they're quite severe in terms of, well, they dry everything out, that's their job. But actually there's um, 
a strong strong links between you know um, deterioration of mental health as well. And I was already pretty rocky at this stage, so I decided not to take the treatment um, because I felt like it would tip me over the edge, to be honest. Um, and so I carried on, carried on with the skin. So at age 15, 16, I'm worried about <laughs> I'm worried about bullies. I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to like keep my face from leaking. Um, can't really sleep at night. Can't really carry my school bag because my shoulders were in such a state I couldn't really put any weight on them. And um, shirt always getting stained as well. Like my collar, my back, my chest, everything. And people were like, oh, did you drop your lunch or what's that on your shirt? And I'm going, mm -hmm, that's actually blood, but thanks. Um, really, really glad you pointed that out because I wasn't self-conscious enough already. Thank you. Really, really appreciate that. <laughs> so that's, uh, that went on for, for a good while, but I think I was probably, I guess 16, maybe 17 when my skin sort of calmed down a bit. Um, and at that point, I had finished school. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this and more so over the last few days. Um, and I've learned over time that stress is a trigger for um, my skin anyway, for the condition deteriorating. And when I was trying to backtrack over time, my skin actually improved when I left school. So I think actually the stress of school and going to school and worrying about everything probably aggravated my skin even more. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so when, when I got out of school, it was like, thank God that's over, you know, a stage of my life that I never, ever, ever want to go back to. And um, things really started to look up then. Um, I was 16 when I finished school, but I turned 17 that summer. Um, started going on nights out, started meeting new people, uh, ended up getting into a relationship. Um, we went off to university, you know, I was still working, I, I got on the road legally, <laughs> which was a huge step. Because <laughs> like the one thing that probably got me through my teenage years was, um, was having a car. Um, I know that probably sounds unusual to a lot of people, but where we grew up, we had a private road and we had land and stuff around the house. So I learned to drive a car when I was actually only nine. Uh, and pretty do. much, huh? As you do. Yeah, you know, standard. Um, but it was because my sister was older. So we all basically learned to drive at the same time. But that car was my, like my safe place really yeah. through my teenage years. Um, I was only able to go sort of half a mile up the road because we had to obviously stay on private property. But I used to spend hours every evening driving up and down and up and down and up and down because like around the sort of 15 mark, um, things were things got pretty tough at home as well. Because if you think you've got a moody teenager for one, but you've got an anxious teenager, you've got a teenager who's actually depressed but doesn't understand or know that they're depressed. You've got a mother trying to work out how the fuck do I handle this child? <laughs> so, home yeah, pretty. I, I've grown up from thirteen upwards in in a city. So, was there much in the town? Like, was there much spoken about in mental health in a small town in Ireland? Really? Oh, absolutely not. Like, it, people wouldn't even refer to it properly. It would be a case of, oh, your one has roof trouble, as in. You know, mental health issues but it was referred to as roof trouble because people wouldn't say you know there, there's a mental health issue or whatever or, or her nerves are very bad and that just reeked you know, the stigma oh unbelievable like you couldn't admit <laughs> to be in any in any way struggling you might be having a bad day that's about as much as you could say on the topic because if you were to say oh i feel very anxious you'd be told cop on to yourself what are you talking about anxious and then you'll get a story of, oh, in my day, we had to do this and we had no shoes going to school and whatever else. And you think, yeah, OK, forget that topic. <laughs> so very, very much stigma attached. Yeah. And I think um, going to school as well, I wasn't the only one that suffered either, but everyone suffered in silence, yeah. really. There was a few of us that kind of acknowledged each other in a sense. Did your mum and dad know then? Or? Um, 
They, like, they probably did, but, well, they knew that I wasn't 100% anyway, that's for sure, but they probably didn't know how to deal with it. going on. Yeah, they definitely didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, I was quite difficult anyway, because I had no interest in anything. I didn't want to hang around with them. Like, I felt very uneasy a lot of the time, um, even at home. Like, I had this, and it didn't go away for a number of years. Even after I moved here, I still felt it sometimes that I couldn't relax. I had this feeling of being watched. Yeah, um, a dread. And that actually wasn't the case, you know. My parents are really quite chilled out people, um, but I just could never really relax at home. Um, and I don't know why. I never I never got to the bottom of that, to be honest, but it kind of faded away over time. So I kind of accepted that it's not a problem anymore. Do you think maybe just a mixture of, you know, you're getting shit all day from people and then mixed in with teenage hormones where you always hate your parents because they're, so unfair and um it is a difficult difficult little period in it at 14 15 16 where you're feeling like you're ready to to leave the nest you know you want to you know get away from your mum and dad it's not cool to be around your mum and dad and um, and obviously you know everything yeah but that's (laughs) that's probably when you need the most support those years um yeah you're 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 inclined to reject us most at that time as well and I think that was kind of the killing part because really I think mum wanted to help but didn't know how. And we just clashed. And so I just avoided her. It was easier for both of us because, I mean, you could cut the air in that house sometimes. We would argue over everything because I had zero patience or tolerance for anything that was being asked of me. Um, it was, you know, you get home from school. Oh, how'd you get on today? Oh, leave me alone. <laughs> because <laughs> that's obviously a perfectly reasonable response <laughs> and that just set the tone for the evening then she's thinking what the fuck have I done now and I'm like oh that woman she's asking me how was my day and I'm like stop stop yeah. talking to me you know so she couldn't win either way um, didn't really have the same with dad but I think me and dad just weren't really very close anyway um, we are now funny as I've got older I've got quite close with both of them well I suppose a lot of my family really but um I think again because like dad was quite into his football and his sport so I didn't really have a lot of common ground with him or so I thought but mom always used to say that we didn't really get along because we were just too alike um and now I'm a bit older I can kind of see that more yeah um but yeah so that was that was a tough time but look like every teenager has struggles but I think I kind of perpetuated my own by, well, I just didn't understand it, to be totally honest. I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't really think I needed help. I just, all I wanted was to be just left alone by everyone, um, which isn't really healthy. But then, as you say, you know, your your skin got better as you left school, um, university working. Um, what, What age did you, you know, sort of start thinking about maybe Ireland wasn't the place for you what what sort of got you into that thinking I think what it was so after I finished school um I met a girl got into a relationship and we went off to university at the same time um we kind of lived in each other's pockets for a while but it was like this whole new stage of life for both of us like neither of us had been in previous relationships or anything like it um We'd moved to a city. Both of us came from the country, from the middle of nowhere, <laughs> pretty much. Um, we both got our driving licenses. We were going on nights out. We were meeting new people. We were having a having a really good time. Um, and we got on really well. She's a lovely girl. And then, so I finished first year of university. And I just thought, like, I didn't do very well in my exams, but I really didn't like the course. And I just thought this just isn't really for me. But like, to be honest, a lot of the reason I took that course was because it was my ticket out of home because home had become such a negative place for me, even though it wasn't. I just thought it was um, that I basically took what I was offered to get out the door. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did did a year of university and then I decided, no, not for me. Got a job. Uh, my first insurance job <laughs> my cousin sorted me out there thankfully um 
So I blame her for my career, but anyway, that's a separate issue. <laughs> uh, and then I, w- I stayed living in Limerick. So I, I still was around my friends. I was still around her. And I stayed for about six months of what would have been second year. Um, so I was 18, 18 going on 19. Um, and I was starting to question, well, First of all, I was working a lot. I was working nine to half five in my job, but I was then also cleaning cars in the evening. So I wasn't really spending very much time in Limerick as time went on. So I wasn't seeing my friends very much. I wasn't seeing her very much. And I started to decline a bit. Um, And then in the March, I ended up actually moving back to my hometown. I just rented a little house, um, which sort of, again, made things a bit worse because Although I didn't spend a lot of time in Limerick, I had the option of it. If I wanted to, I could say, I'm not going to clean these cars this evening. I could have gone down, had a nice evening or had a night out or spent an evening with her or whatever. Um, But I ended up renting this house on my own. Um, Wasn't really seeing anyone. I would hang around at my friends' houses from time to time, but because of the age that we were at, a lot of my friends were actually away at university anyway. So there was a few people knocking around that I would spend probably too much time with, to be honest. I became attached to to um, to a couple of friends. Um, and that was kind of all I had. Now, they were good friends. We're still friends now. So, you know, there's no regrets there in a sense. But basically, it was a lot of reliance on them because I didn't like to be on my own. So yeah. the relationship was sort of wasting away in the background as was my sort of Limerick life, my city life that I had set up and was loving. And then through my sort of later teenage years up to that point, I had started to question, you know, am I, am I as straight as I think I am? Um, and so as a, when I moved back to Milltown, back to my hometown, it started to play on my mind a lot more because, you know, I haven't been in Limerick and been in the city and met gay people and friends of friends are gay and whatever, and, and uh, just saw that actually no one really cares anyway. So I got to the point where I decided I need to, basically, I need to try this out and see where I stand with it because fully convinced I was straight um, because I felt like anything else would have been weird, you know? <laughs> Uh, so immediately I had a negative view on being gay before I even realized I was gay. Um, and so that, so the, so yeah, I ended up, ended the relationship with my girlfriend because I knew I needed to try this, but I felt like I was going to try it to sort of get it out of my system because I was still very much convinced that I'm going to get married, going to have kids, do the whole traditional road, you know, because that's how I was brought up. That's very much how things were where I grew up. So that's all I knew. I didn't think there was even any other options, to be totally honest. So Limerick sort of opened my eyes in a way. Can but I? Yeah, so I just I want to go veer off topic quickly, just on a point. How fucking mental is it that we have this template of life? Yeah. I mean, I could, do, I could do a whole episode on this. So I won't go into it too much, but it, <laughs> it's fucking mental. Like, we we are so programmed to live in a particular way. And actually, I think that program causes more mental health issues because not everyone can fit it. Yeah. It's, it's, that, that is a fact. Like, but I think it's part of the curriculum that it had at school as well. So, you know, you learn all everything was very heavily focused on on or based on religion yeah uh, and of course irish catholic it's like you're you know you marry your wife mary and you have 500 children because contraception <laughs> is bad you go to mass every sunday you milk the cows and like you know everything is sort of laid out this is your path basically this is what you're taught in school and even when you you know you learn your sins and you learn your sacraments and all of this you go through the chain of um, you know, you're I'm probably going to end up embarrassing myself here by missing some, but you go through the chain of being baptised, you have your first confession, you make your communion, you make your confirmation, um, and you go on from there, and marriage is always very heavily focused on, and it was always, you must have, you must get married, you have to, you know, no sex before marriage, no kids, definitely, um, 
And so it's very focused on man plus woman plus children equals box tick. Um, and I think, yeah, it can be quite damaging for people because it's it sets a standard that for some people they're never going to reach. I mean, I know now I'm never going to reach that and, and I'm fine with that. I figured that out eventually. But yeah, it took a lot of time because there's an element of guilt about it as well, because because you because you grow up with that template, as you say, yeah. that's sort of an expectation that you set for yourself and you think, right, so that's a fail immediately. But if I'm expecting this, my family must be expecting this yeah. as well. So if I'm not going to follow the template, I'm also letting them down. Um, my brother is special needs, so he's he's not going to be having children. Um, and my sister's are they're both married so I used to have this complex about the Griffin name kind of stopped with me at least yeah. in our house and I was like well you know I have to have kids because there won't be any Griffins in Killarney if I don't um you know I've got cousins and that but who's to say where they're gonna end up you know and either way they're not my immediate family they're family but they're not my house yeah. so I felt like I felt like I was responsible for carrying on the line which is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. It's it's a tough thing for. How old were you at the time? Thinking, um, like at the time when I came to London and had all this realization. You mean? Or yeah. I was nineteen when I left Ireland. That's, that's a lot to sort of put on your own shoulders. That you've you've sort of taken your family away from that. Um, it must have been difficult. Like coming yeah, to terms but- with that. It was, and you know what's worse is I I was the one that made it difficult because <laughs> I assumed that this was what's expected of me when it never really was. Like we're very lucky to have quite chilled parents that you know as long as as long as we're working and we've got enough to keep ourselves going, they don't care if we've got kids or grandkids or nice cars or fancy houses or anything like that they just want us to be happy with what we've got they don't care what we've got as long as we are happy do you know what i mean yeah um and that's really you know we're really quite lucky to have that because i know some some parents are pushy parents and some parents aren't pushy enough um in a way that they'll, they'll let their children set up roam free yeah um so we, we have quite a good balance we're quite grounded parents i think they're raised as well to be honest we've turned out all right you know a bit traumatized but <laughs> that's part of catholic upbringing um <laughs> but uh yeah so I, I i basically i put all this pressure on myself and then it was just the biggest guilt trip kind of coming to the realization that maybe i'm not going to deliver this actually um so yeah, I was, uh, where was I? I was living in Milltown and I just got really lonely and really down. And I thought, there's nothing really here for me. My job was fine, but it was the first like full-time job I'd had because I'd had like um, informal work since I was 13. But mm-hmm. this was my first sort of, you know, real life job, if yeah. you like. Um, but I had, you know, I had my own car, my own house, I had a permanent job. I had what a lot of people, you know, aim for. Like, that's their goal yeah. for life. And I had achieved that already when I was probably 18. So, um, you know, I was I was ahead you of the there was There was more out there for you. There was, yeah. there was something you had to learn about yourself. Yeah. And so I suppose that's where um, the whole sexuality thing kind of comes into it, because I decided... As I mentioned, you know, I need to at least try this, get it out of my system, see if it's something that I'm even interested in, because I don't know at this stage, but it kind of scares me that I don't know. Um, And I was very conscious as well of not wasting anyone's time, because like I've been with that girl for coming up to two years. And there was a comment that she made about someone else that she knew and how they, you know, been with a guy for so many years and then broke up and she said how uh, this girl had wasted her college years on him. And that, yeah. statement, that statement really stuck with me. And I thought, I'm questioning myself now. I can't drag her along. And I don't want her to waste her college years on me, basically. So I was like, let me just break this off. Um, so, And I think that's probably why I was quite down as well through that summer after I moved back home. Because, you know, we, we, we had a good relationship. We had a good setup for the most part, I would say. 
but it um, wasn't true to who you are. Well, I wasn't sure if it was, and that, that was the killer, because when we broke up, I couldn't really tell her why, because yeah. I don't want to dump her, do you know what I mean? It's not like she did anything wrong, um, but also I didn't want to admit to her, mm, I'm not sure if if I'm into men or women or both or what, I yeah. don't, and I, I couldn't say that, because, yeah, no. I, you know, I had to figure that out for myself, so I decided anyway, I had enough, it got to August, uh, and yeah, one morning I got just woke up and within a couple of hours I had uh, put my car up for sale. I had handed in my notice on my house and I'd handed in my notice on my job and booked a one way ticket to Stansted for 16 quid. And it was the best money I ever spent. Um, because is that because, last... you got, is that because you met me? Well, you know, you're obviously <laughs> my favorite person in the country, Anthony. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> But that was that was the best move I ever made because in the couple of weeks that I had, so it was like the end of September that I left. So I booked the ticket five weeks in advance so that I had four weeks notice at work and one week left for a gigantic piss up with all of my friends. Um, and it was really, really fun because, you know, I, I finished work. I was going on this new adventure. Everything was exciting again. Um, and I came to London on a wing and a prayer, like I packed my bag, I had some money saved up, like selling my car and whatever. And um, <laughs> I arrived at Stansted and my uncle picked me up and he was like, well, what's the plan? I was like, no fucking idea. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to try and get a job anyway um, <laughs> and see, see where we go from there. So that was like just a whole new world because it was, in a way it was a snap decision to come over. Yeah. I had considered it previously because we used to have weekends in London and that when we were younger, we came here on holiday a few times because um, I have an aunt and cousins that used to live in London. So it's actually them that I stayed with when I came originally. So, and what was strange was I, I didn't have any feelings towards coming here as such. Yes, it was exciting, but I wasn't worried. I wasn't scared. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's something new, isn't it? And, and it was a chance for you to, to reinvent yourself and, and find out who exactly. you are, basically. How did and you go that, about, you know, how do you go about finding out if you're gay with, you know, um, I've obviously never had to do this. So how, how did that start? That started with going on some very seedy websites. I suppose it was the early stages of where like online dating was becoming a thing. Um, and so that's what I did, but I did it all very much in secret, like even the the people that I got to meet over here, like through work and whatever, I never let on to any of them that there was even a question of this. I just completely avoided the topic. Mm. Uh, you know, boys talk about girls and I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, kind of going along with it, thinking, please don't question me, <laughs> you know, because uh, I was I was still really worried about it because um like I say, I had kind of, I got to a point where I was like, even if I do, if I do try it out, it'll be to get it out of my system. So no one needs to know about this. I will just go back to being normal, wink, wink. Um, once I've, once I've crossed this off my sort of bucket list, if you will. Um, I did the whole like, online dating thing. Um, and with absolutely no appreciation for the sort of danger I was putting myself in, a very vulnerable 19 year old, in a new country, like a whole whole new place, didn't know where I was, where I was going, didn't even know who I was meeting really. Um, but then, so I, I met with a few people over the course of a couple of months and I didn't really know how to feel about it, to be honest, because I was like, okay, that box is ticked now, let's go back to being normal, you know, wink, wink. Was it, was it sorry, sorry to go into too much detail. Um, was it just dates or, you know, was you kissing or did, did you go further? Is that how you had to find out? Or? Well, I went, yeah, to be honest, I had to go the whole nine yards to really find out. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's what you're curious about, isn't it, really? Um, sexual. Like, yeah, Frank, yeah. It's a sexual thing. So, yeah. Um, like I say, very, very naive, put myself in some silly situations, but, you know, I suppose I was lucky that nothing ever really happened to me. Yeah. Um, but, 
yeah, so basically I, I met a few people over the course of a few months and I was like, okay, so I've, 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 that's the end of that now, that's done, forget about that, you know, game over, keep it quiet, pretend it never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but secretly I quite enjoyed it actually. Um, so, but I, but I was like, crush that, you've done it. So I then, um, I then met another girl here through a house share and you know, it got very full on very quickly because we were living together. Yeah. And, you know, after a couple of months, I was like, you know what, this, yeah, this is not for me, actually. Um, And that's, that's when it finally clicked with me that, like, whilst she was a nice girl as well, we got along well, everything sort of worked as it should, if you like. (laughs) Um, It was um, sort of the final nail in the coffin as such, you that's that was the that was the moment where I was like, okay, fuck. I suppose this is what gay is then, because she's here in front of me, and I'm just not really interested, to be honest. I'll go with the flow, but I'm not really fussed. So, did you tell your parents at this point, or did you, you know, wait until you're in a relationship? Yeah. So that was my. From there on, I kind of built up this. Um, I basically decided that, okay, fine, I'm gay. Don't know how to deal with this, but there's no point wasting any more girls time but I decided unless I end up in a relationship with a man there's no point telling anyone because it's irrelevant information unless you've got someone to introduce basically um so yeah but I was allergic to the prospect of having a relationship with a man because that's just weird I kept you know I, I put so many roadblocks in my own way um but anyway, a couple of months later, I was I was in London about a year, and I met my first boyfriend, and we we weren't together very long. It's probably only a month or two in, and um, I thought, okay, actually, this is, you know, this is an actual relationship set up. Like we did it all properly. We had dates. We went for drinks. We went for dinner. It wasn't just a quick wham bam, you know. Yeah. Um. So I thought, okay, this is probably going somewhere, and then. I decided at that point I had to tell my parents because again, there was more guilt and grief building up about keeping this person a secret and this person is actually becoming part of my life. So I couldn't do that, you know, quite a shit thing to to hide a relationship away. Um, So my parents were coming over for a weekend, um, a couple of months in, and I was like, right, this is my chance. I'll meet them face to face. I'll explain everything and just say, this is my boyfriend. Um, didn't go like that <laughs> completely bottled it um, and so I ended up um, in just in turmoil over it really because I I spent the next couple of days they went back to Ireland and I kept just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and like I felt like a big failure because I needed to do it for him as much as for me yeah. um, and so basically I was on the bus home and I wrote a big long text message basically said this is me what you want to do because I um I got myself in a real bad state over it because although I'd got to the point where I kind of accepted okay I am gay now I still had this feeling that or you know because of how, of how anxious I was before this even became an issue I had made such a big pile of crap out of the whole thing that I convinced myself my family were going to turn their back on me um, and so that's why when I sent that text message, that was probably the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. And then when I got the reply back from dad, it was like I'd won the lotto because basically he said, you know, don't worry about it. We can talk about it when you're ready. Um, take care of yourself. Love always, mum and dad. And I was like, what, what, what's this? What's this L word here? What's this? <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but that's what you needed at that point. You know, that was yeah, perfect. That was just the perfect yes. remedy for your Absolutely. so so after that you know i've sort of got two questions here one did it you know give you relief you know did it make your life better um but also during this period obviously you know you've got you've got a new boyfriend you you know you've got this skin condition how did that yeah. affect your relationship so after after I told my parents, I thought that was the end of my woes, but really it wasn't because what I would do, what I ended up doing was 
transferring the pressure from myself onto him. Um, because I built it up in such a thing of, oh, well, basically I'm turning my back on my family for you. I put this huge amount of stress and pressure on him, um, which I didn't, I didn't even see it that way at the time. But I was, I suppose, I just wanted everything done my way because if it wasn't done my way, it would make me more anxious and more worried and it would end up being more stressful for both of us. Um, and it got, I suppose it got kind of toxic in a way. Um, I was just really, really, really full on. And through that, I ended up aggravating my skin more. Um, and it became a vicious circle because what was once acne turned into HS. And it's, uh, it's quite a nasty condition. It's a chronic incurable disease now. So I start, I went to dermatologist over here started on a whole raft of new treatment um, but the side effects for that treatment were quite cruel so I was dealing with you know some of them was creating more sort of mental issues but more around sort of mood swings um, low energy again not sleeping like there was a lot of days where I had to peel myself off the bed because something had burst or wept overnight or whatever and yeah. he, he was he was really supportive through it but it's difficult for you because you know you've got you've got the stress of you've just come out you've you're finally realizing who you are you've got a new relationship it's your first you know relationship where you're actually being who you are um yeah. and but you've still got the skin condition work which is maybe holding you back a little bit do you think yeah it, it just made everything that little bit harder because like I say, you know, I'm not sleeping, so I'm grumpy, but I'm taking tablets that are upsetting my stomach or um, making me itchy or making me irritable. So, you know, even though I was anxious on a good day, all of this stuff was adding to it. So I just became harder and harder to deal with, basically. Um, I was quite volatile, I suppose. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of positives too from that relationship, although my skin did make it really difficult and it still does now to a degree because this condition can never be cured you can treat it and try and manage it but it never actually goes away but what i learned from that relationship was actually it is okay to be gay uh, it's okay to be gay in a family unit as well because his family were around a good bit he lived with his brother so it was nice a nice environment to be in they're really good to me and never made me feel any certain way about being gay. And I thought, well, if his family can accept it, then surely mine can. But yeah. unknown to me, mine already had. I just wasn't acknowledging the fact that they already had because I kept this bloody wall up. Um, but we, we stayed together for about a year and a half. Um, and in the end, it, we were just kind of moving at different paces, really. I was starting to get more confident in myself um, because I got over the sexuality barrier. Uh, I was on a career path and I thought, right, well, I know what I'm doing now um, and you're not keeping up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's difficult for me to think of you like that because I think I met you when you was towards the end of that relationship. Uh, and, yeah. And you were, you were quite, you know, you weren't as calm as you are now, I've said this to you before, you know, the yeah. difference to you then to now is, is unbelievable how, how much calmer you are. But you came across as so confident. So for me to think of you as not confident, you know, at that time, uh, would have been crazy to me. But having known you all these years now, I know those insecurities. Yeah. So you've done, a, you, you've done an amazing job of like hiding all this and that that probably came up over you know 20 20 odd years of doing it oh yeah that was just pure experience like put that smile on go to work because you know what no one's going to do it for you um and that was again part of moving over here was i i had no safety net i had no real security or no backup plan if you like so if i didn't go to work who was going to pay my bills you know yeah. if i ended up on my arse it wasn't a case of I go stay with my parents for a couple of months till I get back on my feet. Like that for me meant leaving the country. Um, and it still does. So, you know, I, I talk about the skin and I talk about the relationship, but there's a lot of day-to-day -day stuff that I stressed about as well. Like money yeah. has always been a very 
big topic, like making sure I have enough of it, making sure I've got something saved for a rainy day, you know, trying to save up to buy a house. Like we've done that now, but we're already trying to save for the next one. And it's just like, <laughs> my mother is really good at, at like bringing me back to earth and just saying, take stock, just look at what you've actually achieved and just slow down, calm yourself. You don't always need to be pushing on and pushing on. So yeah, I, I create my own problem in a way sometimes because I'm always looking for more. And so that's that's part of why that relationship ended. Um, he was a saint to put up with me for as long as he did, to be totally honest. But, so, but then, yeah. So how did you get to the point, you know, how did you, you get over those, like, periods? So, yeah, I was kind of still on the backstory, but what I, basically, the, the key... In the earlier years, at least, the key to success for me was actually counselling. And I know it doesn't work for everyone, but I have found it so insightful and so helpful. Like I've been to a couple of different counsellors over the years and I would recommend it to anyone. It's an incredible experience. Even if you don't feel like you've got issues, you learn so much about yourself. But I think what I really needed when I started counselling was literally just someone to talk to that was impartial, that didn't know me. Um, and the first time I had that, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like when I left, I felt drained and I cried and I was low and I was this and that. But ultimately, it, it really helped me a lot. Um, and I've been, like I say, I've been to a few different counsellors. And what I learned over the years was what my triggers are um, and I can kind of monitor myself and see if I'm starting to slip or if I'm starting to go downhill I know it's time to book another just have another go and yeah and just saying to yourself and, is you know it is, is a case of and I've I found that I'm myself I'm like this a bit more now I I'm more aware of when I'm not having a good day but actually I accept it more or if I know I'm coming into a tricky period, like I, I accept it more. I don't, you know, dwell on it. I don't sit in it for too long and I try and do something about it. I think, I think we are at fault as a society. And I think because we're still at the early stages of talking about mental health, that we just say, we just got to talk about mental health. And then and like, like, that's it. Now you've got to do more. You've actually got to go see a counselor. You've got to go, you know, do something for yourself. Um, and it frustrates me a little bit when I when I see people who are struggling. And I know it's, it's probably not the right thing to say, but it frustrates me when they're not doing anything about it. Because I know, having been through it, if you do something about it, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and I just I just want to shake them. I just want to be like, just do something because honestly, it does get better. Well, you know yourself how hard it is to get out of that rut when you're oh. stuck. Like, and a lot of the time, you do need someone else to give you that push. Um, depending on what mood you're in you may or may not take it very well but you know what the first time I went to counselling it was arranged for me and it was the best thing anyone has ever done was yeah. starting on that journey because like I have relied on it a couple of times over the years and like say after we worked together when I when I moved to my next job I moved to a whole new area so I ended up in Croydon um, and that's where I met Kirk so that was over four years ago now and um, I started working there first, uh, but still living in North London where I was. But the, it was at the time when Southern Rail were really badly striking. And I found myself getting so down and depressed because the trains were getting delayed and cancelled. <laughs> I was like, come on, it's a train. But you know what? It was that little thing that was pushing me over the edge, if you like. Yeah, Stored a the camel's back. But it is, yeah. it's so like, I mean, I, I obviously live in Norwich now and not having to get the train in the morning, phew, such a good feeling. Honestly, it's such a little thing, but it can make such a difference to your day. Um, and so it basically ended up moving to Croydon just for logistical reasons, to be honest. But then because Kirk was from that sort of area, we ended up moving in together. And in that time, I really went downhill, I think, because... Although we were getting along really well, his family were nearby, you know, relationship wise, we were actually doing pretty good. But I was away from all of my own people. So like my housemates in North London, I was really, you know, good friends with them. 
still am, I still talk. Um, so I missed that sort of social side of things. Obviously, all of the Essex crew were in Essex, so it wasn't very accessible. People would go for nights out after work or they'd have lunches together or whatever. But because I was working and living in Croydon, I just felt a bit cut off. Um, yeah. And I didn't help myself either. But I think because I, I'd racked up a bit of debt as well and I was really focused on paying that down. So I was like, at the cost of paying up debt, I lost my social life and I sort of lost my way again. I became yeah. really dark, dark down as well. Um, and then again, I found another counsellor that was in Croydon and I, he became like a friend in a way. And so once I started going back to counselling again, I was like, right, I'm back on my sort of... When, when, when you say like a, a dark like down, was it at the point of near no return or...? Yeah, I've, you know, I, I've worked myself into some, into some dark spots where... You know, I've I've contemplated and semi-organized the worst thing. <laughs> um, you know, to and it, it's to say when I go to hospital as well for my treatment, you get these questions, and it's like, do you have any suicidal thoughts? And it's like, today or what period are they referring to? Um, <laughs> I need you know any details here because yes, but also no. Um, <laughs> and I, I laugh; it's not funny at all. But I think it's. Um, in a way, there, yeah, okay, there is, there is those, those dark thoughts sometimes, but nothing that I'd ever, nothing that I'd ever act on, because there was one time when I was about to, and for silly reasons, really, um, and my grandmother called me and basically saved my life, and that was a, that was a turning point for me, um, and that was when I was in, you know, in that first boyfriend relationship where everything was sort of going wrong. Um, and so I, I kind of made a pact with myself that night that I would never do anything so stupid again. But I've thought about it lots, yeah. But not in a way that was, you know, I've never felt like actually doing it. Yeah, it's, it's suicidal thought. I mean, I, I mean, I'm the same. I get suicidal thoughts, but I, I don't get suicidal plans anymore. Before I used yeah. to get suicidal plans. Yes. Like, yeah. But like no, there's times in the past where I kind of stand on the platform and I'm like, well. I could, I suppose, make it look like an accident. But then what actually stops me half the time is, oh, I don't want to delay everyone. <laughs> and that'll tell you how, like, although that's a crazy thought to have, that, that just kind of shows you the insignificance of it in that moment. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do it because I'll delay the train. Yeah. That means it's like, it's an empty thought in a sense. Yeah. But it's a thought that does, you know, it does recur for a lot of people. So do you have suicidal thoughts? It's a very common question. And I think if people were honest, the common answer is probably yes. But yeah. would you do anything about it? Very, very different question. Um, no, thankfully, is the answer in my case for the last couple of years, because well, I've, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've found my balance, I suppose you could say. I'm, I'd be lying if I said I was 100% now, but now when I have bad days, they're bad days. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit moody, I'm a bit grumpy, I'm tired because maybe my skin has flared up. So, you know, I haven't slept or I'm in pain or I can't sit at my desk properly or whatever, because, you know, some of the areas where I get flare ups in are intimate, shall we say. Um, but it just kind of goes with the condition. Yeah. Um, but through going to counselling, I've learned what my triggers are. You know, I've learned how to deal with it and spot it early so that I can catch it before before things get dark, basically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, that's that's what's really got me through the last couple of years. Kirk obviously has been incredibly patient with me as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean I, I, obviously, I, I've, I've known you and Kirk as a couple for quite a while now, and yeah. I couldn't think of two, two, two people better suited. Um, it just works, you know? Well, <laughs> You're, op you're opposite, but you're exactly the same at the same time. And I don't know how to word it other than that. <laughs> yeah, like when, when he's like got energy, you're chilled. But when you're chilled, he seems like, or when you've got energy, he's chilled. And like you, you sort of like keep each other at a nice, and you're settled. It's, it's, it's nice to see you settled after, you know, knowing that you've been through such a shit time, basically. Yeah, and like that's that's kind of what I mean by found my balance in a way because 
I suppose really the key to it is I know who I am now. Um, and I, through the counseling, I've been able to deal with a lot of stuff, put a lot of stuff to bed. And, you know, I've had a mix of CBT through the counseling as well, which helps me to sort of tell myself, don't have that negative view. What about the positive side? Don't always go negative. Um, and just, as mom says, take stock every now and again, just kind of just look around and think, Christ, we've really done a lot. Yeah. Like in we've been together for the last four and a bit years. And, <clears throat> you know, in that time, we've this is the third place that we've lived in. So we've moved a few times to change cars loads. We've been away loads. We've gone camping. We've done our rally across Europe, which was yeah. amazing. Um, we did 10 countries in five days and it was top notch that's the only real holiday we've had together um and even still in kirk's dad and sister came along in another car and that was that was a really really good fun thing to do um and so yeah like you say we've settled we've bought a place now so we don't have to worry about landlords or rent or whatever and the best part of not having a landlord is we're allowed to have pets Although I think that's all changed now anyway. But the um, my saving grace for the last year has been canine friends. So agreeable. Yeah. Um, like it's been a shit year for a lot of people, but I've kind of we we fostered Finley initially and then we ended up adopting him because someone else was interested in adopting him and I was like no no <laughs> absolutely not he's staying now he's a very sweet dog as well he's gorgeous you know he's he's an old boy he knows what he likes and um, now it's two huh? and now there's two yes yeah two weeks ago we got Camilla <laughs> so very reading um, but yeah, she's she's lovely thing as well. They're getting along quite well. But you know, the the summer that I had, I like last year, like a lot of people, I ended up losing my job. Started off as furlough initially, but then was made redundant. And I think if he wasn't here to give me a job to do and keep yeah. me safe, keep me in some sort of routine, I think I probably would have ended up in that dark place because I don't think I would have been able to see a counsellor face to face and actually over the phone for me doesn't do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Finley is absolutely saved the last year. So um, I've got a reason to get up in the morning, you know, if you've got nothing else on, you still have to get up to feed the dog and let him out and take him for a walk. And you just need that push. Yeah. Right. I've got one last question before we wrap today's episode up yeah um, and get on to the music bit do you accept who you are now now I do yeah it took me a hell of a long time but yes finally got there <laughs> and it's a relief I can tell you <laughs> the relief I thought I was going to get when I was 20 is what I finally now have and and I think it shows all around because my relationship with pretty much everyone has improved most of all with my family um i can talk to my parents openly about anything now we don't argue anymore i know that's part of growing up but it's part of you know me just being comfortable in my own skin i can relax with them now and actually enjoy spending time with them and that's that's huge really um because i'm I'm very lucky to have a nice family and i'm very lucky that i can now enjoy spending time with them (laughs) So, okay, yeah. so the final bit, the music. This is uh, this has been some turmoil for you. Yes, been, the uh, music has been music has been a little bit tricky because so for anyone who's not listened before and this is their first episode, at the end of each episode, I'll be asking each guest to add songs to a playlist which I created throughout lockdown, which just helped me hit the reset button. Basically, it's it's about two hours long and it's on Spotify. It's my mental mate. Hit the reset button. Um, and it's just music that makes me feel good and um, you know the feedback I've had on the thing so far is actually quite nice Um, people seem to enjoy it so I'm I'm glad it's helping people Um, but yeah each week I'm going to ask the guests to add a few songs that they're of their own that they'd like to to get on there Um, Alan wasn't sure on what sort of route to go with so Alan what have you decided (laughs) so because the music that, <laughs> the music that I tend to listen to um, like music is a big thing 
for cheering you up and you know giving you life in a sense a lot of the music that i listen to is what my mother referred to as that thumping shit um through my teenage years <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I felt like, you know, having listened to your playlist and I actually really enjoy it, I thought I'd pick something a bit more mellow that are my sort of favourite chill songs, if you like. So we've got Iris by the Google Dolls. Uh, we've got Lovely Day by Bill Withers. And we've got Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. So that last one, I'm actually annoyed at myself for not having it already on there. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, do you know what? I, I went through, one of my favourite songs. I went through very intently to make sure that my selections weren't already on there. And I didn't find any of those. And I can't say I was disappointed because I actually really like that playlist. It's really nice and calming. The, um, the, the only feedback I've had is that I'm no one realised how much I love country. Yeah, I was a bit surprised at that as well because it's American country as well. It's yeah, like... Love. Yeah, I'm I'm big on big on country. I was expecting to find Lone Star or like a bit of Garth Brooks or something, but uh, we can, we can work on that. I might, <laughs> I might send some links through, you know, um, a bit of Shania Twain. Actually, didn't think I'm, of Shania. I'm I'm easing people into into country music. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I'm bringing it back to the forefront, and then you know I'm going to go proper country by this time next year. Everyone everyone's going to be listening to country, and they'll they'll locate it back to this podcast. Oh, a bit of Dolly as well, actually. Yeah, I've got... Oh, yeah, okay, you're sparking something here. <laughs> a Katie Furza favourite, Dolly. Yes, yes. All right, Brilliant. well, thank you so much for coming on, Alan. You've been amazing. Um, I'm sure everyone listening will agree. Um, and I could have spoken to you for hours. Um, so, so thank you, um, and it's been a pleasure. Same, really, really good. Nice to chat, as always. And I'll be doing this with a new guest in another two weeks' time. So thank you for listening. And there we go. End of episode three. Uh, Thanks, Alan, for sharing your story there. Um, I think there's a lot of real relatable stuff there that that people will will take on. And your your journey has been pretty pretty incredible. Um, I've watched him grow quite a lot. So uh, being able to be a part of that and to to speak through that with him today was was a real honor so thank you um also he this is actually the second recording of this episode uh the first recording he was fantastic but myself i was struggling with my own anxiety um and actually found myself just not really talking too much and just listening to him i mean it was also because you know his story is so compelling that i just found myself engrossed in it rather than actually asking any questions or being a part of the show so thank you for allowing me to re-record and taking up your sunday um just a reminder this is uh in line with running the london marathon for mind um and my link to uh to the fundraising page will be in the bio for this um any donation will be so helpful we've had such a tough year with covid that these services are going to be used more than ever Uh, Once again, thank you for listening um, and I will see you again in two weeks for another episode of My Mental Mates.